James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith and does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So faith also by itself, it does not, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and they shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab, the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Every year, in a little town in Spain, there's an event that happens. And people from all over the world, they come to this little town of Pamplona. I think I'm getting it right. Pamplona, Spain. There you go. It's called the running of the bulls. And now, if you know anything about running of the bulls, it's not a simple 5K. You're not out there for a jog. You're actually running through the streets with bulls running behind you, bulls with horns, bulls that can kill you running behind you. And uh, the whole goal is you're running along with them, but get out of the way before they can, uh, they can gore you to death. Thousands of people, over 300,000 people show up for this event. Again, a record started being held in 1911, and since that time, over 15 people have been killed. The most recent death occurred five years ago when a Spanish man was gored. Bill Hillman, he's a 32-year-old Chicago-based journalist. He's an expert on the event. He even co-authored a book subtitled, How to Survive the Bulls of Pamplona. But on July 3rd, 2014, just knowing about bull, uh, bull running, even knowing enough to write an instruction manual on bull running, wasn't enough. You see, a 1,300-pound fighting bull named Bravido lagged behind the pack just before entering the city's bull ring at the end of a rain-slick run in the annual festival. At the opportune time, Bravido gored Hillman in the right thigh and a 35-year-old Spanish man in the chest. The co-author of Hillman's book later told the New York Times, we probably need to update the book. <laughs> What's more important? What you believe, what you say you believe, or how you live it out? What affects you more? What changes the course of your destiny? What you believe 
or how you live it out. Your actions, your words, your, uh, your deeds. What's more important? You see, we're talking today about a question, and James is going to touch on this, and he's going to answer this for us today. We're talking about a question that a lot of us sitting in this room, if not all of us, have asked ourselves at some point in our lives, in our Christian walk. Maybe you've been a Christian for your entire, maybe you were born into Christianity, maybe you were born, maybe you were, this is your first time hearing it, or somewhere along the way, you came to faith, and somewhere you... In that journey, you've asked, what's more important, what I believe or what I do? We're talking about a question today that's been asked for hundreds of years. As a matter of fact, in the 1500s, this same question would spark the Reformation with Martin Luther, as he looked at the Catholic Church and he looked at the works that were being, uh, that were being marred and with the works that were being uh, convoluted and ch- causing people to leave, to walk away from Christ, and he looks at it and he goes, is it works that saves us or is it our faith? A lot of us have asked ourselves, what saves me? What brings salvation? Is it my work? Is it how I approach God? Or is it my faith? This question is important to us. If the answer is directly related to our salvation, we probably need to get it correct. We ought to get it correct. So what, what does save us? Is it what we believe or is it what we do? In the passage we're going to look today, he's going to give us a little bit of an understanding of this work and of this faith. There's a relationship there that it's crucial that we do not leave here without understanding. The relationship between our faith and our works. You see, this is, a, this is a tension that a lot of us try to manage. And somehow within the church and in the world, we try to manage this tension. And we come at it in two different ways. Religion comes at it in two different ways. One way, the first way, is where we emphasize our works over our faith. And maybe, maybe, you've, maybe you know about it, maybe you don't. Religions all around the world, a lot of them do this, where they emphasize that if you were to get close to God, if you wanted to achieve salvation or, uh, or nirvana, or you wanted to get into heaven, or whatever that ultimate goal seems to be, you work at it. You earn it. You push yourself. You do your best. You, do, you uh, give alms. You pray daily. You fast daily. You do whatever needs to. You marry the right person. You speak the right language. You do what you need to do so that one day you will get there. So there is that approach. Sometimes even within the church, maybe we've come from traditions where we have a ritual heavy tradition where we're told from a childhood, you need to do these things. And maybe you come from that tradition. But Honestly, if you were to really break it down, there's a problem with this approach. First, and, and this must seem pretty obvious, Scripture says it's not correct. As a matter of fact, Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, this is what he says. For by grace alone, for by grace you have been saved through faith. For this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast." 
Paul is clear. There is nothing that you can do, nothing that you can achieve, nothing that you can make yourself into to save yourself. And this morning, we need to get that across. If we haven't already, we need to get that intellectually, in our emotionally. We need to understand that there is nothing that you did or will do that will make you right with God. The sin that we committed was so big. The people that we are, we're, we're broken, we're flawed, we are sinful. And that is not going to, no matter how hard we try, no matter what we do, it's not going to fix but somehow there is something inside of us that just says, you know what? If there's a problem, I want to fix it. There's never been a crack that I didn't want to put duct tape on. Or something I want to glue together. Or um, I, I remember this old car, a Nissan Altima that I had. It ran on prayers and duct tape. <laughs> That's just who I am. I drove it to the ground and, and then I passed it on to my sister. But still, I mean, that thing... 250,000 miles. I'm pretty proud of that. Um, we look at a problem and we say, we're going to do it. We're going to make it. We're, as Americans, that's who we are. We're kind of known for our pick ourselves by our bootstraps, our mentality that if there is a problem, we're going to fix it. But honestly, this is not a new phenomenon. It's, you can trace it all the way back, all the way back, and we can go all the way back to the, the first couple in history, Adam and Eve. Now, if you remember your creation story, the creation story goes something like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created everything seen and unseen. He created the animals, the plants. He created people. And along the way, God gives them, God had created them with a purpose. He created them to be in relationship with him. He created them so that they would live the life that he had intended for them. And he had a rule in place. And that one rule, they ended up breaking. And that was the rule not to eat of a certain tree in the garden. Now, if you remember, maybe you can help me out with, this, with the story here a little bit. When they ate of the fruit, what happened? There was a moment where they realized something. Anyone remember? What, what did they realize? All of a sudden, they realized that they were naked. What was their response to that? Wow, there's a lot of responses. Someone out loud. Fig leaves. There we go. Their response was, okay, oh, oh okay, all right. Now we've, we've realized something about ourselves, and we're going to fix it. Their, their response was, take a couple of fig leaves, sew it together, and they made themselves loincloths. And that's, you'll find that in chapter 2. But when God comes into the garden, he looks at them and goes, no, no, no. That's not going to work. You see, they look at their shame and their response is, we'll fix it. God looks at their shame and says, there's nothing you can do. As a matter of fact, something has to die. And you see in the, in the, in the story where an animal is killed and a sacrifice is made. And God uses the, the skin to create a, a fashion, a loincloth for them. And you he, see the story. And something in that story says, there's a problem and we want to fix it. But God looks at it and goes, you can't. As a matter of fact, he looks at us today. We see ourselves. We look inwards. We see our shame. We see our brokenness. We see our pain. We see our, our flaws. And we go, I can fix this. And God says, no. No, no. 
This is not something you can fix. You see, fig leaves will fall apart over time. That shame will not. And he looks at us and says, a sacrifice has to be made. And a sacrifice was made on that cross a couple of thousand years ago. And, it's, and because of that sacrifice today, our shame, our, our brokenness is covered up. Second, the second problem with this first approach where we choose, we say, oh, you know what, I'm going to work and we prioritize our work over our faith, is this, how do you know when you've made it? Question is, how good is good enough? If you can imagine with me, let's just think a scenario where you know, life is over and we're, we're at the pearly gates and we're in, in we're standing in front of God and God opens up the books and he says, all right, let's see your good works and let's see all the bad that you've done. And he, he counts it one way or the other and he says, okay. And then he, he, you tell him, God, I have done 148 great things and I think that's enough. And he says, I'm sorry, the standard was 150. Off you go. We can look at that and say, how absurd is that? How, that, that makes no sense. Why would a God be so diabolical to put such a, such, a, such a standard in place? There is a standard that we can never achieve. There is a perfection that we can never achieve. And no matter how hard you try, no matter how much you work, no matter how much effort you put in, you'll come short. And so in this scenario, no matter how much we try to do our work and prioritize it over our faith, this is what it says. Emphasizing our work over faith leaves you with faithless work. Work over faith leaves you with faithless work. As a matter of fact, sometimes we think, oh, you know, you know what, I see, I hear that perspective and I think that's pretty much outside the church sometimes. But honestly, it happens within the church too. For example, Jesus talks about it in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. And it says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And on that day, many will come to me and say this, Lord, Lord, we, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Our works, when we emphasize our works more than our faith, it leaves us with faithless work. You see, because of these, pro because of these problems, sometimes as a church, especially the evangelical church, we tend to put an emphasis on what we believe. After all, salvation is by faith alone. You see, if you were to look back at Adam and Eve, God looks at them and says, your work, no matter how much you do, you are not able to attain it. And so he offers them a way out. 
Just as he did then, he looks at us. He looks at the mess that we've created for ourselves. He looks at the problems that we face, and he says, there is no way you're going to fix it. And so here's my solution. Here's my son. Here's the, the ultimate, the sacrifice that has to be offered. And, and 2,000 years ago, that sacrifice was made. And for you, for all of time, people past, people present, and people in the future, that sacrifice is enough. And so our response is simply this. Our response is not to say, God, what can I do to get salvation? Instead, Lord, how do I just want, all I have to do is believe, is accept what, I, what you've done. And so we accept it. We accept this is the good news of the gospel, the gospel that states that you were broken. There was no way for you to fix yourself. And God comes in and does it for you. As Paul says, it is a gift of God. And not of works that, don't, that no man should boast. However, in this, there is a small problem that occurs. You see, in the midst of this good news, we tend to make an overcorrection. Right? We're going in this one direction. We realize that's not the way. And so we overcorrect. And the overcorrection is in this. That sometimes we rely on our faith alone. Where our faith is emphasized over our work. After all, Paul himself says that the righteous shall live by faith. We're justified by faith. Isn't that, isn't that what the Bible says? You see, sometimes when we read, especially passages like, like Ephesians, where Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, we read it, for it's by faith, it's grace, by grace that you're saved. We leave it at that. We don't read all the way through. There is a part of this, that there's a part of it in verse 10 that he says, and we are created for something more. We're created for works. We're created for good work. He says, you are saved by faith, but that faith does not, does not end there. There is more to it. As a matter of fact, let's go to James chapter 2, verses 14 and 16, and this is what he, we read. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says that he has faith and does not have works? Can that faith save him? And then he places this example in front of them. And he says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? James is clearly asking a question to arouse the emotions here. He's asking this rhetorical question. He's saying, can you think of the scenario can you think of the scenario where you have faith, it's a body of believers, it's a body sort of like this, they gather together, and if you can imagine with me, we all come into this place, and a homeless person walks in, or someone who's hungry, who's tired, they're tattered, they're close, especially in this cold, it's not sufficient, they walk in, and they explain to you how they're, they're at the end of their robe, they just don't have anything, and you say, brother, sister, I, I'm so glad that you're here, I, I'm so so glad that you're here. So glad you're joining us for worship. And at the end of the day, we say, good to meet you. Go be warmed and be filled. As a matter of fact, in this, in the, in this passage, in this verse, James is using two Greek words. And these two wor the words, they have 
the, the, they have two tenses that are used in the Greek. And in these tenses, one is the middle and one is the passive. Passive, the middle, this is what it meant. If, it's, if it was translated like this, this is how it would, be, it would be translated. Go feed yourself. Go warm yourself. In other sense, it was great to meet you. I'll pray for you. Now go take care of yourself. And he's looking at the church and saying, how absurd would it be if one of you treated him like that? He says, if, you're, if you have faith, and as a body of faith, if someone comes in, there is a need that presents itself, and the response is to say, God will take care of it and not move a hand, not move a finger. There is a problem. Verses 15 and 16, we look at it and go, wait, that's, you know, that's obviously um, hyperbole. He's using, he's using strong language there. It probably doesn't happen. When you see brokenness around you, in your family, in your church, in your community, and when, when we see that, we're confronted by that, and we turn a blind eye, This is what James has to say to us. We have dead faith. When we see a need popping up and we say, God will take care of it and we do nothing, he says, you have dead faith. When you see social and racial injustice in your world and don't respond with the gospel, James says, you have dead faith. When we claim to be Christians but fail to help poverty, stricken fellow believers, we have a dead faith. In the face of disaster, if our, pro- if our response is to put a post saying our thoughts and prayers and never lift a finger to offer assistance, never lift a finger to change policy, never offer, never offer to help remedy the problem, James is saying, you have a dead faith. When you have the means to help a brother or a sister and you do not, he says, you have a dead faith. For those of us who say we have faith, we, make, we call ourselves Christians, but we excuse our actions, James has a question for us. What good is that faith? Does this faith save him? Is a question he's asking. You see, he's looking at the church and he's saying, it's great that you believe in God. Good for you. Guess what? The demons do that. Even the demons do that. And as a matter of fact, not only do they believe, they also shudder. They tremble at his presence. So they've already got one up on you. So what good is your faith? When faith is not accompanied by action, James is saying it's useless, it's worthless, it's like a body with no breath. Faith without accompanying action is like a car that does not drive, a traveler that does not leave town, a light without power, a well without water, paint that's never used, food that never reaches the hungry, a cure that's never administered. This is what it's like to have faith with no work. When it's faith, when it's up here, when it's in here, and never actually finds its way out into your hands and your feet, it is dead faith. You see, if you solve your problem by emphasizing a life of works over faith, you end up with faithless work. 
But on the other side, when we emphasize a life of faith over works, we end up with a non-working faith, what James calls a dead faith. See, it's a battle of faiths here. James is presenting us a case. He says there are two types of faith. There is a faith that works and a faith that doesn't. There's a false faith and a true one. There's a faith that does not save and a faith that does. Our faith must result in action. And if it does not, it is dead. As a matter of fact, what James is saying is he even questions if it's faith at all. If you're a Christian, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you subscribe to the principles that he's laid out in, the, in his word for you, and yet you ne- you're never moved to action, James is asking, are you a Christian at all? Because what's in you will produce fruit. What's in you will produce fruit. You see, the fruit is our work for him. If you trust in him, you will bear fruit. A tree that has life in it will bear fruit. A tree is known by its fruit. A tree is not known for its roots. As a church, we're sometimes, honestly, we're not known for our faith. We're known for our work. Jesus himself says, and this is how you will be known as my disciples, by your work. They will see those and glorify God. This morning, if you were uh, at our first service, we had a missionary family come in, and they were sharing of their story in Jordan, and they were talking about a Muslim lady who came to the Lord. And one of the reasons that she came to the Lord is because in the, in, in the conflicts with her family in the conflicts with this community, in conflicts with ISIS and everything that they were facing, she was saying there was something distinct about the Christians. They easily forgave. And for her, that struck her. Why would a Christian forgive? She looked at the, the fruit that the Christians were, that were producing, and that led her to Christ. That was one of the reasons why she came to Christ. And, he's, and it says... Your faith is your fruit. As a matter of fact, there is a little bit of a distinction that we have to make here. Our faith does not lead to salvation. It is a product of our salvation. Paul is clearly saying there's nothing that you can do to gain God's favor. There's nothing that you can do to build, uh, to gain salvation. But James is adding on to that. Once you have received salvation, faith flows from it. Faith is an evidence. Faith is an evidence of, I'm sorry, your work, your action is an evidence of faith. How many of you went apple picking this fall? Right? You went out, you saw the fruit. Do you have any doubt that the tree was alive or dead? You knew it was alive because there's fruit. When there's life, there's fruit. When there's our faith produces results. Jesus in John 14 verses 15 says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you claim to be a Christian, if you claim to love him, 
Your response simply is to obey what he has called you to do. And so often, when there's no fruit, the question is, what's broken? What's their faith at all? A working faith is a faith that works. A working faith is a faith that works. Here's what James is saying. If you have faith, it will demand action in your life. If you really believe this book, then it matters how you live. If you really believe this book, then it matters what you say. If you really believe this book, if you really say, I accept what he has, what he has for me, I accept the salvation he offers me, then it will show in your workplace. It will show in your family. If you believe in this, then it will translate into the way you deal with your community. Unity. It will translate into your character. It will translate into your, your ethics. It will translate into your relationships. It will translate into your understanding of God's people. It will permeate every aspect of your life. Faith leads to action. See, our job as Christians is to pour out what, is, what we've been filled with. He's given us something that we are to pour out. He's not asking you more than what you have. He's asking what you've already been given. Give it out. As a matter of fact, here at the church, one of the reasons we have a benevolence ministry is because of this very fact. We see the need in our community and our faith demands that we address it. Our faith demands that we see the broken, we see the crisis, and we address it. We see the disasters around the country and we address it. Being in the role that I have, I've had the privilege of sitting and hearing stories of brokenness and crises and moms trying to feed their children and dads trying to pay the mortgage and families trying to pay the bills and having to choose between feeding a child or paying a bill. And they're sitting and we're, we as a church and because of your giving, I want to thank you, especially to giving towards, towards our benevolence fund and you will have an opportunity this coming week to be able to give to that. But it is because of your giving, because of your response as a church that says there is a need and my faith demands I take action. And so we've been able to help those. The question is, does your faith lead to action? See, sometimes when we look at faith, we think of it, that's all that's needed. That's all that's needed. If Jesus did it all, then why do we have to As a matter of fact, John Calvin, he says, it is therefore faith alone which justifies, yet the faith which justifies is not alone. Let me read that again. It is therefore faith alone which justifies, yet the faith which justifies is not alone. Your actions must, your actions must accompany your faith. This is a small problem that we run into sometimes, though. You see, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And we have, as Christians, I'm, and I'm assuming the best of us, and then we say, Lord, I hear that. I want to do that. I, I, I want to give of everything that I have. I want to live the life that you called me to, but I can't. 
I keep falling short. And he's going to say, no. Yes, you do. And so often, we can leave off at verse 15, or, and we say, he's called me to, because I love him, I have to keep his commandments. And we fail because we don't read the rest. We fail because we don't comprehend the rest. The rest goes something like this. Verses 16 and 17 says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you. The reality is, no matter how much you and I try, we can't do this. No matter how much we try to balance our faith and our works, no matter how hard we try, it's just not going to work. How much we try to produce fruit, it's just not going to work because we're not able to. And he says, I will give you a helper. I will pour up my spirit into you. And through my spirit, all things are possible. Through my spirit, I can bring change to the things that seem unchangeable. I can bring... I can bring peace into broken situations. I can bring healing into, into areas of sickness. He says, through me, I can do this. Give out of what you have. Do you realize what you've been given? Do you realize, as Christians, the power available to us? Do you realize the Holy Spirit that is given to us? This is the same Spirit by which the world was created. This is the same Spirit by which Jesus himself was raised up from the grave. And the the apostle, the, the, the writer, he says, the same power that rose Jesus from the grave is the one that's working in you. And so often we limit it to ourselves. We limit it to our own faith. And there is no action that accompanies this power that is bottled up inside. It has to go. It has to translate into action. Soren Kierkegaard, he's a philosopher and a theologian. And he has a little story that he titled Duckland. And let me, let me read this story to you. There is a little town of ducks. Every Sunday, the ducks waddle out of their houses and waddle down Main Street to their church. They waddle into the sanctuary and squat in their proper proper pews. The duck choir waddles in and takes its place, and then the duck minister comes forward and opens up the duck Bible. He reads to them, Ducks, God has given you wings. With wings you can fly. With wings you can mount up and soar like eagles. No walls can confine you. No fences can hold you. You have wings. God has given you wings and you can fly like birds. And all the ducks stood up and said, Amen. And they all waddled home. (laughs) Waddling is inglorious. Flight is majestic. Question is, are you waddling in your faith today? Knowing the power that you've been given, what is your response? You see, he's given us the wings of faith and action. And he says, you can fly. He says, you can soar. You can be the change that the world is looking for. You can be. And yet somehow... We are not. 
James is looking at that and he's making this appeal. He's saying, examine your approach to salvation. Do you do it under your own power? Do you rely on his grace? And he's calling you to examine. But he's also asking this question, does your faith produce? Do you have a faith without works? Do you say with your lips and your heart that Jesus is Lord and then go on and say something different with your life? Maybe you have the right doctrine. Do you have the right faith? But do you have living faith? Maybe you have the right creeds. Do you have the right deeds? When you're approached with a need in your family, at your job, at your church, within your community, on the road, when you're stopped at the light, when you're taking the tea to work, how do you respond? Do we respond with religious cliches? Brother, I'll be praying for you. You got this. Or do we respond by pouring out of our cup into theirs? What would it look like? And I'll call the worship team up as we conclude. What would it look like if we as a church were not just a faith community, but a faith community in action? What if we each move beyond just being merely people of faith but became people of faith in action. You see, many of the problems the world faces today would be solved if we stood up, if we proclaimed, if we boldly said what we needed to say. There would be no hungry person because the church fed them. There would be no orphan because the church adopted them. There would be no person without access to cleaning water because the church dug wells. There would be morality in the land again if the church would finally get its act together and stop playing politics. Instead, it acted out in faith. What would that look like? Church, it costs you nothing to enter into Christianity, but it is going to cost all of you to stay a Christian. It's, it costs you nothing because he paid it all, but it's going to cost all of you to remain in it. And today he's asking, he's asking for you to give of yourself. Pay the price. Step out and move out in action. And so this morning, as we come to the close of the service, I want us to respond not as the duck church waddles off, but instead realize who we are, the children of God, and what we have, what we've been given, what we've been offered, what we've been promised, the Spirit of God. And this morning, our response should be twofold. One, it should be, God, I'm sorry because I've, I've neglected action. God, I come in repentance because there was a time where I should have stood up and I did not. There was a time where I should have defended and I did not. There was a time where I should have responded and I did not. There was a time where I should have fed, I did not. There was a time where I should have poured out and I did not. And for that, Lord, I repent. And there are some of you here today, the Spirit of the Lord is speaking to you and you know that's where you are. But the other response is, God... This is a great challenge you're giving me.
James is posing a huge challenge to the church. Live out your faith. But the reality is we have no power to do it. And so this morning, maybe that's where you are. You're looking at yourself and saying, I have no power to do this. How can he expect me? I'm broken. I'm, I, you don't know where I've been. You don't know my legacy. You don't know who I am. You don't know what I've done. And yet you ask me to lift this out. You see, as James closes that portion in Scripture, he uses two examples. He uses Abraham and the other is Rahab. You see, there, there aren't two people that could be so different from each other. Put them on a spectrum and they're on opposite ends. Abraham, we would call the father of faith, a friend of God. He walked with God. He did all the right things. And Rahab did the exact opposite. But yet, James, I'm convinced through the Holy Spirit, he puts that in front of us. He puts that in front of the church and he says, no matter where you've been, what your legacy is, maybe you feel like you're an Abraham or maybe you've come into his presence saying, I'm like Rahab. I'm the prostitute. I have nothing to give. I have nothing to claim. I have no legacy. And he says, what brings them, what equalizes them is not their past. What equalizes them is their faith and how they responded in faith. What, what equalizes them is their action that resulted from faith. You see, both of them had faith in God and they moved on it. So this morning, forget who you are, forget who you've been, but instead ask Him, God, I need the power to respond to you in faith. Maybe you've been seeking the power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've been seeking the filling of the Holy Spirit and this is your opportunity. Come into His presence. Say, God, fill me with your power. Fill me with your Spirit. What you promise, what the, the words of Jesus that says, I will give you my helper. Fill me with that power just as you did the early church, just as you did every, every generation after that, just as you do today. Fill me. And so today, do not leave without having asked that prayer, without praying that prayer. Ask Him for forgiveness for things past and power for things in the future. Because if we're going to live as Christians, we need His power. We need His anointing. We need His Spirit. So church, we're going to spend a few moments in prayer, in, in worship. Our elders are going to come forward and they're going to be on either side of this platform. And if you've if you feel like that's where you are, maybe you need to repent, maybe you need the power of the Holy Spirit, wherever you may be on that spectrum, I invite you to these altars. Come. Don't leave waddling away. Don't leave the same way you came in because there is power that's available to you. So would you bow your heads with me in a moment of prayer? Father, we thank you for the, for the word that's that's presented to us today. We thank you for James as he presents us with this challenge for us to live out our faith. Faith that needs to grow hands and feet. Faith that needs to become life in, in action. Faith that needs to be 
lived out. I pray that you would give us, Lord, forgive us for the times where we've neglected to be active, neglected to bring your grace to the people around us. And Lord, help us, fill us this morning with your Holy Spirit. Fill us this morning with your power, your your immense power, your anointing, your grace. We need it, Lord. Because without it, we're not going to be able to do what you've called us to. Lord, fill us this morning. Give us your grace. Help us. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ.